0: Good morning, beloved. If you have your copy of Scripture, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? And just fair warning, uh, this is going to be fun. I did not sleep much last night, and it's been a wild week. Um, But here we go. Uh, this week, uh, my mother, many of you know, had breast cancer, and so this was her surgery. Um, glad to report that she, um, it went well. Um, had a double mastectomy, and um, doctor said it, it went great, so thank you for praying. Um, But uh, I I walk in, I spent the day with my dad there, and so she finally comes out, and like there's all kinds of rules still about how many people can be there. So he's in one room, and I'm coming from another entrance to the hospital, and we we both get there and everything. And so um, she's waking up from anesthesia and all this stuff. She's made it to her assigned room for the night and everything. And I walk in, and just inspiration hits in that moment, and I see that she's awake, she's conscious, and she says, hey, Kevin. And I say, do you feel like finally just got something off your chest? And she uh, <laughs> starts laughing, and then, oh, I don't do that, I know, I know. I have to wonder, like, do I make them proud? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> In the 1980s, Lonnie Johnson, a black NASA scientist, uh, he's working on a jet pump, where he's trying to create something, and, and he shoots a stream of water across the room, and it's like really impressive, and so inspiration hits, and he builds a water gun. He takes that water gun home, and his seven-year-old daughter and him, they're having a good time in the front yard, shooting this water gun back and forth like every good dad does, and um, she loves it. And so, you know what comes out of that? The super soaker. And now millions of dads and children running around yards across America and the world, really, shooting each other, you know the trick. Dads kink the water hose, you're just waiting for them to look in there, what's wrong? (sighs) Uh, It's good to spend time with your kids. It's good to have fun with them, it's healthy. Now take for example, or non-example we should say, Um, in in Egypt, the Egyptian pharaoh Pepe II came to power at the age of six. So not a lot of time to play with mom and dad before now you're running an empire here. Um, And uh, Pepe was known for things like um, he would take his slaves and servants and strip them naked and cover them in honey so that when they went outside, the flies were more likely to swarm them. Yeah, yeah he needed some more time with that, um, But it's not exactly the kind of person you want your children to grow up into. And that leads us to today's question or tension. Is uh, you know, in parenting or really in just life, as we follow Jesus and, and these commands come to us to invite others into following Christ with us, how can you know that you're investing in or leading someone the right way? Like, isn't it a huge fear? Like, the, the, the joke I hear constantly is like, I wonder what kind of therapy my kids are gonna need because of me. <laughs> like, and, and We're all broken people, but like, we wanna know, like, even in our brokenness, that we're doing a good job. Like, are, we, are we leading them the right way? Are we investing in them the right way? Whether that's our children, our grandchildren, or just someone else who is in some way under your influence. And so this is where we find ourselves in our sermon series going through the gospel according to Luke. I'm looking at certainty. Luke chapter five, if you want to start with me. First verse, Luke chapter five. It says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And so we have some context for what's going on here. Jesus, remember this is a couple thousand years ago, he's, um, he shows up on the scene and he's, he's roaming around and he's starting this kind of teaching ministry at this point in the book. And so he's known as a rabbi. So this is someone who would be very smart, he's studied the scriptures well, and he'd come around and crowds would gather to hear a rabbi teach. Jesus is growing already, this is early in the gospel, but he's already grown to such a level of popularity the crowds are crushing like so many people want to see and hear this rabbi Jesus and this message that he's saying, it's like it's a new kind of authority that he speaks with. It's, it's wild and like all these people are attracted to it. They want to hear it. And so he's at the edge of a lake this is the Sea of Galilee and he's, he's kind of in the northeast region here. But as he's at the edge of this lake, the crowd is pressing in and so kind of for crowd management so he doesn't get crushed and so you could take advantage of the natural acoustics of how sound travels across water. Jesus sees this guy, Simon, who has a boat. He's a fisherman. They're washing their nets. And so you just imagine like, well, We were just having a nice calm morning washing our nets here and all of a sudden thousands of people show up and here's this rabbi and then the rabbi turns and looks at me and is like, hey, can I get in your boat? (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) Simon lets him in the boat. They put off just a little bit from shore. So now Jesus sits down, kind of typical posture, uh, teaching posture of a rabbi and the crowd is all on the shore. So imagine thousands of people now along the shore listening to Jesus as he's in a boat and he's teaching. And so like the fishermen, still there, like in the boat, like, rode you out here, like, it's kinda weird, they're all looking this direction, look down, not gonna look up, it's weird. So this is where we're at as this begins. They want to hear God's voice. Did you catch that? The crowds have come because they want to hear God's voice, or God's word. And this Luke includes that because he wants us to see the authority, the emphasis, the source of what Jesus is saying is not just this rabbi. Like This is the actual word of God being conveyed through this human who's standing here or sitting here in a boat as I'm listening. so they come to hear that, Jesus now is fishing, so to speak. Jesus is casting the net of the gospel on these crowds of people as he sits in this fisherman's boat. And so we pick up in verse four, He says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied. So there's respect there. We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. So Jesus gives this command to Peter and that shows us like Peter is obviously in charge of the boat. He's got a crew there, but Peter seems to be the point guy and we see that kind of play out throughout the New Testament. He seems to be kind of a a leader of sorts. And so Peter receives this command, all right, we're going to go, you're telling me to go put out the nets in the deep water? All right. Um, He refers to him as master, so there's some respect, there's obedience, he's complying with what Jesus said to do and here they go. But this is odd. This is why Peter brings it up. He's like, okay, you're telling me to go out into deep water. Here we are along the shore. You're saying go out to deeper water and cast down the nets. Um, And so in this time in this region, nighttime fishing meant deep water fishing, and it's actually the best time to fish with deep nets. And he's saying it's daytime. I want you to go out to deep water and do the nighttime type of fishing. And Peter's like, you know, we actually just did this all night, and it didn't work out. But if you say so, I'll humor you. Here we go, Peter submits, he respects him, he obeys him, and then watch what happens in verse six. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. As an avid fisherman, that's a good day, okay? (laughs) I have not yet experienced that. But God willing, (laughs) it's coming. To go to deeper water, you know. Uh, this this is amazing though. Jesus knows better than they do. This is Jesus, the carpenter teacher, giving fishing advice to professional fishermen. <laughs> you know, actually, you just you need to go out a little deeper. Throw the deep water nets. We did that all night. <laughs> Nothing's biting. And do you know, fishermen, there's an excuse for everything. Like, well, you know, the earth is tilted, like the, the moon last night, like all this stuff. But they, they do it, and they catch so many fish that they call their partners from the shore, like, come on, we need help. They're bringing in the nets. The nets are trying to tear. They get them in the boat. Both boats are so full, they're sinking. Like, there's that much of a catch here. Jesus knows better than they did. Imagine the excitement. Like, this is their profession. This is not just like, oh, we're gonna eat well. This is like, no, I can pay my bills for a long time. Like I can buy that thing that I've been saving up for because now I've got mad cash. This is awesome. Like imagine just the excitement as they bring in the biggest catch of their lives likely. And then look what happens. Verse 10, I'm sorry, verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Peter has to reckon with who Jesus is now. He has heard him teach, and then he submits to this command, go fishing again. Go where you don't think you should go right now. Use what you don't think you should use. And suddenly it's the catch of a lifetime. They're amazed, and so Peter connects the dots. I heard you teaching, and it's like nothing I've ever heard before. And now you know things that you shouldn't know. He sees the connection to the divine here. This is not normal, what is happening. And so Peter becomes acutely aware of his sinfulness, that he stands in the presence of something divine. And he falls on his knees before Jesus and basically says, please leave. Not because I don't like you and I don't appreciate this, but I just I can't be in your presence. And you had to imagine, like, it's kind of awkward, we're on a boat, <laughs> Where are you going? Where am I going? I don't know, this is weird. I'm just gonna fall down. Peter makes a confession. The Greek word for confess is homologio, and this literally means saying the same thing. This is what we are doing in confession. In confessing, we are admitting, yeah, I'm broken, and I don't deserve to be in your presence, God. It's us saying the same thing that God says, that we're now in agreement. No, you don't deserve to be here. And yet where is Jesus? Intentionally in the sinner's boat. Your confession is good and true. We're saying the same thing. And yet here I am in grace. Now, this is the gospel. This is how God comes to us. That we, we encounter grace and grace is beautiful. You, you should celebrate grace. Grace upon grace is who Jesus is. And yet so often we want to overlook the fact that grace actually hurts at first. Because the essence of grace is that it's unmerited or undeserved favor, meaning you could not earn this. Which means you have to come to grips with the reality that we are broken and we cannot save ourselves. And yet grace says, that is true, I'm so glad that you've come to that awareness and you've confessed it. Now know that I love you despite that. I'm still here, I'm still in the boat with you. This is Peter also transitioning from the respectful master to now he calls him Lord. That this shift takes place. This is a rightful fear and an amazement. And we look at the second part of verse 10. He says, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. He thought you were a fisherman, huh? Didn't do so good last night. Watch this. Oh, you think that's amazing? No, don't be afraid. You want me to leave? No, 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 no. I have another purpose for you. Now you're gonna be going around and you're gonna be catching people. You're gonna be catching people. In contrast to Peter's request for Jesus to leave, he now invites the sinner into this great redemptive work. You're actually gonna go do what I'm doing. You're gonna invite people into everlasting life, into full freedom, forgiveness. This is what you get to do now. And Jesus uses this metaphor of fishing intentionally. Things are about to get wild. It's okay. Okay. So they're using nets, uh, we don't use nets, because that's silly, we use casting rods. But here's the thing, um, fishermen have to use appropriate bait and technique, or you don't catch anything. So you know, the whole idea of catching fish is catching fish. And so catching means you've, like, you've got them, they're trapped, they're not going to escape. And so as I start to think last night, looking around my garage, what's really good at catching, it's like holding things together, zip ties have you considered zip ties lately? I consider them all the time. They're amazing, they help me do so many things. Like they will hold things together that don't want to be held together. And so I've got some zip ties here on the end of my rod and line here. And so, you know, I can go fishing. I was aiming for you, man. Oh, really? What's the problem? Do zip ties catch fish? No. But there's another problem. Am I fishing where there are any fish? No. So here's the thing. Jesus is saying, you're gonna go catch people. And then we receive the same instructions to go, make disciples of all the nations. Raise up your children to know the Lord. What is the action in there? You go. But too often we wanna fish here. This is just a pet peeve of mine. And it's not always wrong to pray this. But be careful when you pray, God, would you make an opportunity for me? Like the oh, like, God, would you open up some doors for me to share the gospel? The command was go. Love him so much. See the love of God for you so much that, like, we naturally talk about the things we love. We do this naturally. And so, the fish aren't there. The fish won't bite. You go to the fish you have to go where the fish are, so go. Be intentional, be intentional about how you disciple, how you pursue others, whether it's your children or your coworkers, your teammates, whoever it is, and the end of that is all the nations of the world. We go to the ends of the earth. We invite everyone into following Jesus. We go fishing for men like Jesus told Peter. Now you're gonna go catch people. But you gotta go where people are. And we can't be this kind of inbred, just inwardly focused church. We have to look out and see, like this is beautiful. We love this. This is sacred. We're family. But this family does not terminate here. We're a family that invites everyone else into the family. And so we go and invite others in. But then, okay, fish are there. I throw the zip ties at them. Do they want to eat a zip tie? No. You got to fish with the right bait. If you're not fishing with the right bait, the fish have no interest in it. You're just disrupting them. <laughs> what is that? Zip tie. That's that Kevin guy again. <laughs> Don't worry about him. He never catches anything. You got to fish with the right bait. What's the right bait? In this metaphor that Jesus is giving us, what do you fish with? It's the gospel. It's always the gospel this is what we have to offer the world is gospel meaning good news, that we are broken, wretched sinners, and yet God in grace loves us so much that he actually came pursuing us when we wanted nothing to do with him. God came chasing after us, and we were his enemy, and he loved us so much, he literally died for us in love. He died on a cross saying, I will take your place. I'll die the death that you deserve. And then he rose again victorious over sin and death, saying, just believe me, follow me. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is what makes it good news, is you and I could never earn God's favor, and yet he gives it freely. This is grace. This is what makes the Christian faith different from every other religion. Every other religion is, in some way, you must do something. And yet, the gospel is, you can do nothing. God has done it all for you. He loves you he's offering forgiveness of sin, life everlasting. Just saying, just trust me. Because that was the problem back in the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, and all of us represented in there. That we, We didn't trust God was actually who he said he was. I'll decide for myself. And that's the battle that you and I face every day. Will we trust God and his goodness and what he says is good, or will we decide for ourselves? But at the heart of responding to the gospel is putting your trust in him, the God who says, I've done it for you. Will you just trust me? Love him. See the way that he loves you. And so go fishing with the gospel. Um, We talk about this in in some of our classes, but this idea of gospel fluency, you want to raise your kids right, you want to be effective in reaching other people to know the love of God. You need to be fluent in the gospel. You need to know how the gospel actually speaks to every tension that you will ever encounter in life. I sat at a table with some pastors this week, and um, one of them was leading us through some exercises and just, just like, kind of checking in, like, how are we doing? And um, you know, it's funny because we're like, we're like children. Like my son this past week, he he got like flipped out about something, and he's losing his mind. I was like, all right, go to your room. I go in there a few minutes later, I'm talking, and I was like, you can't do that, man. Like you can't act like that. And he's like, well, when I get upset like that, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, oh no, I need to think about that. <laughs> like. You know, you have to actually teach children what is an appropriate response to this emotion you're feeling right now. When I'm sitting at a table with these pastors and this guy's like, I'm just gonna read the Wheel of Emotions. Have you seen that? And so you get like, this is this broad category of emotion, but then I'm gonna read all these other kind of more finely tuned descriptors of what you may experience in that emotion. And just start writing down which ones resonate with where you're at right now. Next thing you know, like we all have a page. It's like, oh, <laughs> I didn't even realize I was feeling that until you said that. But then we did something beautiful to where we took that list and we would read it to each other, and then just in a couple statements, just, how does the gospel actually address that? What does the gospel say about the fact that I feel lonely? And I'm growing bitter because I feel like all these like all these different things that we put on there. And what does the gospel say? And to hear a brother or sister say, well, the gospel promises that you'd never be alone. That Jesus was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken. And we do that. You, do, you have to do that for your children. You have to do that for others you're discipling. But it comes back to how you have to be fluent in the gospel. You have to see the, like, the, the beautiful way in our current culture, the beautiful way to engage others in a conversation to where they don't just write it off to like, oh, you're a crazy lunatic who's fanatical about religion is you have to listen for those redemptive longings, that in every tension, in every hurt, there is a longing for some kind of redemption, and the gospel is the only answer to that. Every time. And so you have this beautiful toolkit that will do any job. It is the gospel. We need it for us, and we need it for those that we lead. So don't fish with silly zip ties. Fish with the gospel. Take the gospel. Go with the gospel, and let it be the gospel that you cast out. Not a bunch of rules or expectations of behavior or anything. That is nonsense. All of that has proven over and over again we cannot do it. We can't measure up. But there's good news. There's grace. We must be fluent in the gospel. And that sounds wonderful. You know, JFK he had a plaque on his desk. It was a gift from Admiral Rickover, um, and this Admiral would give this to anyone who stepped into a really high level of leadership around him or under him. And, and this is what the plaque, it's, a, it's actually a quote from a Breton Fisherman's Prayer. It says, oh God, thy sea is so great, and my boat is so small. Just this idea, hey, you're, you're getting into some high responsibility here, a lot of authority, but let's not lose perspective. Your boat's so small in the midst of this vast sea. And we feel that, right? Parents, you feel that? Like, how can I ever do this right? <laughs> it's so overwhelming. The call to disciple others can feel overwhelming. We can feel so inadequate. But look at what happens in verse 11. It says, Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. That's how. This is how you can do this. Just like they left everything and followed him. Why would they do that? Because they saw the worth of him. They saw the power of him. They saw the provision of Christ. Look what just happened in the boat. (laughs) We can leave everything. Because if we've got him, we have everything we need. Daryl, Bach, he's a commentator, he, he says this, he says at the height of surely one of their greatest catches, certainly the most memorable one, they leave their profession behind. Could you imagine that? Your best day on the job in your career, and you end the day saying, yeah, I'm gonna leave all that. Doesn't even compare. The most important thing in leading others to follow Jesus is following Jesus yourself. You want to be a good parent you want to disciple others well, it really comes down to, can you follow Jesus well? You must know him personally, you must see, this is the God who invites us into communion with him. Jesus, before he ascends, gives this promise, I'll be with you, I'll be with you. With all of that authority that's been given to me, all of it in heaven and earth, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. The spirit of God is with us for us to today enjoy his presence today to rely on his power his strength his direction today you can follow him you can sit at the feet of Jesus just like Jesus falling to our Peter falling to his knees before Jesus we can do that today to be in the presence of God this is the kind of love that we have for God when we see his love for us it's unsurpassed there's nothing better And just practically, to speak to some of our fears, I say our fears, you can follow Jesus personally because Jesus knows. Jesus knew where the fish were when the professional fishermen did not. Jesus knew who Simon was when Simon wasn't even really sure of who Simon was. Jesus knows who you are. He knows you. And yet here's the beautiful thing, he chose you. Just like he chose to get in that boat with Simon. He chose you, believer, to inherit eternal life. That Ephesians 1 talks about how he, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He loves us. He set his seal on us. He chose you. That is amazing. And parents, he chose you to be the parent of that child or those children. Isn't it so beautiful to know that God chose me to parent Leland and Elena? So every day when I feel like, man, I really just jacked that up, to think, but you chose me to be here. And now the beauty of this opportunity is, what do I have to offer? Nothing. But I can point them to Jesus as I follow Jesus. And so then, one of the most beautiful things you can do as a parent is step back into that room and say, hey, buddy, I messed up. And I'm sorry. Sorry you know we all make mistakes, but isn't it so cool that God still loves us? And he has grace for us. And you can disciple them in taking that moment that looks like you took something beautiful and you made it horrific, and yet now, as you run back to the gospel, and you say, "We well, actually, just, just follow me back to Jesus. And what I made ugly, I just made beautiful again. Because it's all about him, not us. And then he empowers. Jesus enabled the disciples and us to do what they could not and what we could not on our own. You remember that promise before he ascended? I'm with you, I'm with you, and I have all the power. So go, go. So you're going where the fish are, you're going where the people are, and you're preaching the gospel, you're casting the right bait. It's the gospel. So let's be a church that's faithful to that, let's be parents who are faithful to that. Will you pray with me? God, we love you so much. And I'm so thankful for the way that you have loved us. God, thank you for the blessing of our children. Again, God, I ask that you would bless parents today. Give us a bold confidence in this calling that you have put on our lives to raise these kids to know and love you. Give us a confidence not in ourselves, but in you, that you already know it all, and yet you love us. You chose us, and your power is with us. We love you. I pray all this in Jesus' name.